Our scripture this evening is found in Psalm 5. We'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 5. You know, there's a lot of things that can come at us in this world, and we can respond to those things in a variety of ways. But what David wants us to understand and what God is saying to us through David is that God will be our refuge and we will find favor in him when we turn to him and to him alone. Uh, Psalm 5, and in the honor of reading of God's word, let's all stand. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word. Father God, we pray that as we study uh, your perfect and infallible word this evening, that you would illumine our hearts and minds as you illumine the heart and mind of David when you gave to him this psalm. Father God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. And we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We live in an unprecedented time. There is a a war going on in Ukraine, and nuclear power plants are under active attack. Russia has threatened to use nuclear weapons if they deem that they are necessary to be used. North Korea has recently conducted a number of ballistic missile tests that have the range to reach anywhere within the United States. Unprecedented times. However, these are not the most dangerous weapons known to humanity. The most dangerous weapon known to humanity is far simpler and, 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 and easier to use than any of these weapons. James 3, verses 5 through 8. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, 
and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Don't you wish James wouldn't have pulled any punches? I mean, you know, I just wish he'd have laid it out for us, you know, the way that it ought to be laid out so that we can't miss it. I'm kidding, of course. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. All around us, People use words to ruthlessly destroy others. I mean, isn't that what our political system has come down to? It, it, it's not, we no longer hear candidates talking about the issues. We no longer hear the candidates talking about how the policies that they have adopted have been well-reasoned and thought out and how they're going to benefit the people that they serve. What we hear is the other candidate's mama dresses him in army boots. We don't talk about the substantive issues anymore. When we're stabbed by slander and lies, we feel helpless to defend ourselves. Mm. You know, what's the the notion that we have? Somebody says something mean about us? Oh, it's on now. It's on like Donkey Kong. And we're going to escalate and escalate and escalate. And pretty soon we're so far away from what started this thing that nobody has any idea any longer. When rumors get started, it's impossible to know everyone that has heard what is, is going around. And it's even more impossible to control who might believe it. I mean, after all, most people enjoy a a juicy morsel of gossip, and they're prone to believe the worst without caring to verify its truth. It doesn't have to be true what somebody says about somebody. It just has to be said. Because for the average person, that's enough. It's just to say it. And to say it, 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 it it becomes its own truth. The historical setting for this Psalm is not known. We, we don't know the historical setting. But we do know the context is clear. David's enemies are trying to overthrow him by slandering him. And it doesn't help that his own son, you know, the one whose name is my father is peace. That's what Absalom means, beloved. My father is peace. Is what his name means. <coughs> and Absalom is, is spreading smack about his father all over Jerusalem and all over the kingdom. And just like in our day, people were more than ready, more than willing to believe the most salacious thing that you could say about the leader of their nation. David is being slandered. 
And this psalm is a psalm of lament to the Lord. But it, it is also the first imprecatory psalm. It is a psalm where the whole tone has, has changed. In Psalm 4, David pleads with his enemies. In Psalm 5, David has turned and he is pleading against his enemies. He is asking God to get involved in this thing. Again, we'll see it when we get to it, but beginning in verse 4. And what I want you to notice, though, what I want you to notice is that David doesn't spend a lot of time in the imprecatory part of this psalm. Now, some of y'all will go, well, Larry, it's a fourth of the psalm. Yes, it is. Okay? Or it's a third of the psalm. But I don't know, you know, I never learned the new math. But one-third is smaller than two-thirds. Okay, so two-thirds of the psalm is not the imprecatory part of what David is saying. In this prayer of David, the Holy Spirit shows us what to do when we're at the end of our rope in this wicked, sin-cursed world. And that is that God calls us to take refuge in Him. Verses 1 through 3. David longed for an audience with God. Have you ever been there, beloved? I mean, have you ever been there? You you were going through something, you had a problem, there was something that was weighing you down, and you knew that if you could just get through to God, that God could do something about whatever it is that was bothering you. We know that David was a man of prayer. And, you know, again, we'll deal with it when we get to it. But David is not one of those holier-than-thous. Throughout David's psalms, throughout David's prayers that are recorded for us in Scripture, especially those where David is imprecating, where David is asking God to take care of his enemies, And where David talks about righteousness, David is not saying, listen, I'm all that in a bag of chips and I've got it all together. David understands what kind of a man he is, but David also understands what kind of God God is. Okay? And David understands. David's heart is after God. Now, that doesn't give us a past, beloved. That doesn't mean that, you know, we can say, i got a heart after God, and therefore, you know, I can loosen up. I can go out there and sin however I want, as long as my heart is cleaving after God, because I know what kind of God is, and He's going to forgive me. Yes, He is. But David understands, listen, he, he loves God with all of his heart but he also understands his own passions. He also understands his own shortcomings. He understands where he is likely to fall. Let me ask you, you think this psalm is David's first run at God on this? Okay. And you think this is David's first prayer to God about this? As, as a young boy, my parents enjoyed musicals, the, the, the classic musicals, not the junk they have now. You know. And I remember one of the ones that, that we went to see in person was Fiddler on the Roof. 
And I've even sat and watched the movie. Now, eh, the movie's not quite as good as the stage production, but, but anyway. The main character in the movie is a man by the name of Tevya. And the whole point of most of the movie, most of the play, is this relationship between Tevya and God. That is, Tevya is out about his business, that he is audibly talking to God all the time. And he acts as if he hears, what did you say, God? You want me to... He's responding as if he actually hears God speaking back to him audibly. I imagine that David has been talking to God about this a long time. I imagine that David has used a lot of words to talk to God about this. But I also imagine that for whatever reason, God was not moving on David's timetable. Okay? And so David begins this psalm with a Hebrew parallelism. He didn't see his situation changing, and so he went back to God, and he cries out to God in desperation. And he uses three different things. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help. Three times at the beginning of this psalm, David is crying out to God. Now, let me state the obvious. David prayed to God. Now, that may sound obvious, but it's an essential aspect of prayer. Often we come to prayer so full of our requests and so full of our feelings that we never consciously focus on God and sense His presence. In other words, we want to dash into the Western Union room and shoot off a telegram with what we want and what we need and then go on about our business. Until God taps us on the shoulder and says, here's the answer. David sensed the presence of God. He was a great man of prayer because his prayer time was focused on God. R.A. Torrey put it this way, very much of so-called prayer, both public and private, is not unto God. In order that a prayer should really uh, be unto God, there must be a definite and conscious approach to God when we pray. We must have a definite and vivid realization that God is bending over us and listening as we pray. (laughs) You know, how many of you would pick up your telephone and dial a number and as soon as you heard it stop dialing, you would launch into whatever it is you wanted to say? Okay. Wouldn't you go, hello? And make sure that the person you wanted to talk to was there and was listening. All right. David understands that he's coming into the presence of God. 
Now, David also tells us that he made it a point to pray in the morning. He wanted to do that because he wanted to honor God at the beginning of his day. Listen, beloved, how can I ask God to baptize the decisions that I made during the day if I never asked God to get involved in them in the first place? You know, sometimes throughout the day, it's as simple as me just whispering to God, God, give me wisdom in this next decision. God, I understand that, that, that I'm in a situation that requires your wisdom. Give me the words to say that would bring you honor and glory. Spurgeon said this about morning prayer. This is the fittest time for connecting with God. An hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. While the dew is on the grass, let grace drop upon the soul. Hmm. David gave us what to do before prayer and after prayer. Unless I looked at you and said, would you step up here and say a few words for us? All right. Let me just tell you a secret. Angie knows this about me. If we go to another church for any reason, if we're going to another church for a service, Guess what I'm going to have in my Bible? I'm going to have a sermon in my Bible. Okay? I'm going to have a sermon ready to go just in case the pastor looks at me and says, Brother Larry, I hear you're a minister of the gospel. Would you come up here and give us a few words? Listen, beloved, Paul tells us in in the Corinthian correspondence that God is a God of order, right? Isn't that the whole point that Paul's making about how tongues are to be used within the church? You're saying, wait, Larry, you believe in tongues? I absolutely believe in tongues. Why? Because the Bible says that it happens. Okay. I just don't believe in them the way that a lot of the people practice them today because it's unscriptural, the way that they do it. God is a God of order. Now, you you can ask Angie, when, when we were in our first undergraduate degree, in computer science, if you're a programmer, okay, you're supposed to talk to the to the person and get the scope of the project. In other words, you got to learn what's going to be my input, all right, and then what kind of output do I need to get out of that? And then you get this really cool thing. It's not the girls don't like it so much, but with guys it's really cool because it's called a flowcharting template. All right, it's this little piece of plastic that's got special symbols. It's almost like runes, you know. Special symbols that show decisions and and data coming in and printing and and all of this other stuff. And you're supposed to sit down and you're supposed to diagram what you're starting with, how you're going to work through the logic of your code, and then how the output is going to come out. Uh, What what would you call that in any other uh, uh, endeavor? You'd call that an outline, wouldn't you? You'd call it an outline. You sit down and you figure what you're going to do. Now, Angie knows that as soon as the professor would assign uh, the, the, the project to us, that I'd go into the lab and I'm immediately in there just coding my little heart out, okay? And Mr. Sewich was, was our professor. He knew me really well, and he'd come in, and he'd see me just in there burning that terminal up. he said, Larry, where's your flow chart? And I'd just go, I'll do it when I get done, okay? But let me code this. I've got it, <laughs> Okay. All kidding aside, beloved, 
Why would we want to rush into God's presence without our thoughts ordered? I understand sometimes when you're in the midst of a crisis that just suddenly arises and you've got to cry out to God. You don't have to sit down. You don't have time to sit down, okay, and, 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 and make an outline. But what I'm saying, beloved, is that we should order or direct our prayer. The words that are used here would be like the same words that are used if we were a Jewish congregation and, and we came in and the showbread and everything would be on the table of the presence of the Lord laid out in a particular order. Okay? You wouldn't expect to walk into the synagogue or the temple and just see that stuff thrown on the temple haphazardly or thrown on the table haphazardly. You'd expect it to be laid out in accordance with the Word of God and laid out in order. And so what, the, what David is saying here is that I will order my prayer. Okay? I'm going to think about what I want to say to Almighty God before I start speaking. Now, whether you agree with the President of the United States that happens to be sitting in the White House or not, if you had an opportunity to speak with him, don't you think that you would at least make some mental notes about the things that you wanted to say and the order that you wanted to say them in so that you would make sure that you said everything you needed to say in the way you needed to say it? Well, if we do that with the President of the United States, why in the world won't we do it with the King of the Universe? I will order my prayer to you. Here's the second part of prayer. <laughs> I love this. All right, I'm going to order my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Lord. I'm just waiting. I am eagerly watching to see how you're going to do what you and I just talked about. All right. All right. See, I think that's our problem with, with a lot of our prayers. We go to God and we lay it all out for Him. But we don't really believe that He's going to do it. Or we don't really believe that He can do it. And so we don't watch. And we certainly don't watch eagerly. I will order my prayer to you. And I will eagerly watch. I will wait for the answer that I know you're going to bring. First one, David realized that he was powerless to quench all of the smack that was being said against him. You realize you can't do that, don't you? I mean, you know, I grew up before there was such thing as a cell phone. And I don't know how it worked, but if I was driving through town too fast or too recklessly, my mom and daddy knew about it before I got home, all right? And they wasn't any such thing as a cell phone, uh, all right? And so if I couldn't quench that, then how in the world is David going to be able to quench all this smack that people are talking about? You want to know one of the rules about customer service? And I try to teach this to some of the customer service people that I deal with. A happy customer will tell no one. An unhappy customer will tell 23 other people, and it will go on from there. And that was before there was such a thing as the Internet. Okay? You can't stop it. 
You can't stop it. David knew that he was powerless to stop this. And the, the only one that could help him was God. The word translated groaning or, 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 or moaning, depending on your translation, is murmuring. It's murmuring. Everybody in town was murmuring about David. Absalom and, and his people were whispering and everybody that would listen's ear. On the contrast, David was only whispering in the ears of God. Second, David submitted to, to God as king and God. David's frustration is apparent. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my king and my God, for to you I pray. David is submitting to God as king and God. Do you know what that means? It means that God might decide to allow that to keep on going. And then God may put a stop to it immediately. But by saying that, David is saying, God, I trust your answer. And David's not coming in to to God's presence saying, listen, God, you know, I know you love everybody, but I'm your favorite. And so, you know, you kind of you kind of got to give me more of what I want than you give them of what they want. David fully understands his position before God. He understands that he doesn't uh, feel like he holds claim to God's blessing or that God was obligated to help him. His attitude was one of the sincerity and holiness of his walk with God. Amen. Doesn't mean it was perfect. It meant it was sincere. And it meant that he was doing, as Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. Here's the main point. In the midst of all of this, David wanted to act only in obedience and submission to God. He did not want to react in any way that displeased God. And then we again, we said that he sought God in the morning. He stated it twice to stress its importance. David was faithful in his fellowship with God. In fact, he began each day in prayer. Unlike so many people, he didn't speak to God only when he was in a crisis. He spoke to God daily as a daily visitor to the throne of grace. Let's get back to morning prayer again. Why is that so significant? Because morning prayer recognizes God as the greatest priority of our lives. Before David met with anyone else, he wanted to meet with God. Before he attended to any of the day's affairs or business, he first sought the Lord in prayer. Morning prayer acknowledges God as the most important person in our life. Second, it recognizes that God, uh, God's power is the greatest power in our life. Every morning, David's first activity was to go to God in prayer. He petitioned God for his needs, and he looked to God as the only one who could supply his needs. He waited in expectation of God answering and bestowing everything he needed throughout the day.
Harry Ironside said, did we or did he hear your voice this morning? Did you start the day without any word with him? And have you wondered why things went wrong today? They always will if you launch out on the work of the day without speaking to him first. If you want to be a strong, overcoming believer in a day of difficulty, be sure to start the day with God. Verses 4 through 8. David meditated on the righteous character of God. I said, David meditated on the righteous character of God. Now, why is that important? Because what do we generally meditate upon? We meditate upon the problem. We meditate upon the crisis. We meditate uh, upon whoever we're praying against. We meditate on everything except the righteous character of God. And listen to me, beloved. Instead of focusing on the problem that he was facing, David chose to focus on the person of God. We can either focus on the problem or we can focus on the person. And as David grew closer to God, he became more and more aware of who God was and he became more aware of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. Hello? Whose measuring rod was David using to measure sin? He wasn't using his. He was using God's. He was using God's. Because the closer he got to God, the more evident the sin in his own life became, and the more evident the sin in everyone around him became. Because the closer we get to God, the more apparent sin will become in the lives of those around us. Boyce showed us a measuring rod for our prayer. He said, this is a good way to measure how well you are praying and whether as you pray you are drawing close to God or merely mouthing words. If you are drawing close to God, you will become increasingly sensitive which, uh, to sin, which is inevitable since the God you are approaching is a holy God. In these verses, David is laying out the why of God's righteousness. And in verse 6, I mean, he really lays it out for us. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Wait a minute. Now, somebody help me remember, why was it that David wasn't allowed to build the temple? Because he's a man of bloodshed. He's a man of bloodshed. So David understood. He's confessing his own sin here. Have you ever stopped and thought? I mean, the Bible talks about a lot of sin throughout the Bible, does it not? It talks about adultery. It talks about thieving. It talks about coveting. It talks about all kinds of things. But the one sin that the Bible talks about more than just about any other sin is those who speak falsehood. Why? Why is that one so important in the Bible? Because we are never more like Satan than when we're lying. I said we're never more like Satan than when we're lying. 
especially when we lie about others. There's a sermon there, but I'll let it go. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He constantly levels false accusations against God, and he slanders the sons and daughters of God. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Look at verse 7. David's not saying, I'm all that in a bag of chips. He's not saying that I'm the only one in this kingdom that's righteous and everybody else is a bunch of sinners on their way to hell. He says, as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, what right do I have to approach the throne of God? His loving kindness. Not because of anything I did. Not because of who I am. It's because of whose I am. But it's not because of who I am. The only reason that I can come into the house of God is because of God's abundant loving kindness. Because God is not going to strike me dead the moment I walk across the threshold into His holy temple. Because I come claiming the blood and the righteousness of Jesus. And David recognizes That his only standing before God wasn't based upon his feelings about God, but on his reverence for a righteous and a merciful God. Verses 8 through 10. This is David saying, God, if I try to do this on my own, I'm going to mess it up bad. I I love that David throughout the psalm says, God, lead me in your righteousness. Because you know why? My righteousness is good enough. Amen. My righteousness is better than somebody else's righteousness, therefore I'm further down the road. My righteousness is based upon how I feel and how I want God to feel about me, how I want God to give me what I've earned. David says, I don't want any part of that. God, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way, not not make my way, make your way straight before me. David says, I'm not interested in going down my way. I don't want you straightening out my path. I want you to put me on your path and keep it obvious to me so that I don't stray off of it and make a mistake. He wanted nothing to keep him from seeing and following God's way. And those obstacles included his own desires, his own emotions, and any ungodly counsel he might receive from others. And then beginning in verse 9, like a prosecuting attorney. Y'all ever smelled a putrefying body? It's nasty. David says, beginning in verse 9, there's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. When they open their mouth, you can smell the stench of death coming out of their mouth. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God, by their own devices let them fall 
let them get trapped in their own sin. In the multitude of their transgressions. Remember what it said, how many lays can you eat? You can't eat just one. How many sins can you commit? You can't commit just one. You got to keep going to cover up the last sin. Let them fall in the multitude of their transgressions. Thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. God, I don't care what they're doing to me. What I care about is what they're doing to you. What they're doing to you. Verses 11 through 12. David concludes his prayer. By interceding for the faithful people of Israel who were unswayed by Absalom's charm and charisma. They weren't relying on their own strength or their own weapons because they were severely outnumbered. But they had one resource that could deliver and save them, and that was God. They were totally trusting in God to defend them. Spurgeon outlined this as follows. God is giving permission for joy. You have here, have here a ticket to the banquets of joy. You may be as happy as ever you like. Did you hear that? You may be as happy as ever you like. Let them ever sing for joy. You have permission for joy. You have a precept, a command for joy. Come, ye mournful ones, be glad. Ye discontented grumblers, come out. Enter the palace of the king. He said that we should pray for joy both in ourselves and others, especially servants of God. If you lose your joy in your religion, you will be a poor worker. You cannot bear strong testimony. You cannot bear stern trial. You cannot lead a powerful life. In proportion as you maintain your joy, you will be strong in the Lord and for the Lord. And he concluded, you have a promise for joy. God promises joy and gladness to believers. Light is sown for them. The Lord will turn their night into day. David closes by asking for three blessings upon God's people. First, that God would let them rejoice and be glad. Second, that He would allow them to sing for joy because He had personally risen to their defense. And third, that they would have cause to rejoice, not in their victory, but in the God whose great name they loved. And notice David's confidence. It is you who blesses the righteous man. O Lord, you surround him with favor as with a shield. Now, the shield that David is referring to here is not the small combat shield. This is the big shield that you get down behind when the arrows of the enemy have been launched against you. David says, you surround the righteous person with favor as with a shield. The Lord would completely surround them and protect them from their enemies. This is the greatest blessing of all, the favor of God. Knowing that God looks on us with favor and pleasure is the greatest blessing in the world. This is our standing in grace, surrounded by His favor.